Everybody, welcome to episode 57 of the Bomber Brothers podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan here to recap another Yankee season. This time we are doing 2003, obviously a memorable one, not one that ended in a World Series, but still incredibly memorable, thanks to Aaron Boone. Um, first, Sean, I guess there's some current events to talk about we finally got the verdict on the red sox and their uh you know sign stealing stuff which was certainly uh nothing too notable in terms of punishments the video replay employee was suspended alex cora was suspended through the postseason but they you know made sure to note that that had nothing to do with the red sox um, scandal, and they lost the second round pick. So, not I, much. No, and you know, I I saw some, you know, some writers tweeted out, you know, the Red Sox were pretty adamant that they did nothing wrong. That this proves them right, which you know could be true, but at you know, at the same time, you know, at the same time, it was their first year with a manager and Alex Cora, who was at the forefront of a massive cheating scandal in Houston and I don't know I guess just the idea that they brought in this manager who was such a huge part in that and then this team was also you know in what seems like a much more minimal sense was also you know doing some things to seal signs and that this manager had no involvement in it that's it's a little it's a little fishy yeah I, I yeah, I I think that this was sort of like Manford made his statement with the Astros with the suspensions and stuff, and then this one he just wanted to get over with and not have this be a distraction. And I feel like we're getting closer, like where baseball thinks it's getting closer to coming back. So they wanted to get this out of the way. No sort of crazy reverberation repercussions because the core thing isn't really a repercussion for the Red Sox. He already is gone. So it when they get back to it, it's just going to be normal baseball. And I feel like baseball thinks they're closer to having a plan to coming back. So I think this was a little bit of just let's sweep this under the rug. We kind of sent our message with the Astros and now we've just played some baseball. So I don't know. Yeah. There's clearly efforts to play baseball. There's, you know, talk of another potential avenue to have a season which would include three divisions 10 teams in each division and basically in in an effort to eliminate um, too much travel and and too much crossing between all 30 teams which could increase the chance of you know of uh, more players getting infected it seems like 
that baseball is talking about this this new um, scenario where divisions would basically be based in geography. So you'd have the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, the Phillies all in the same division and and only playing teams within their division. And then there would be some type of expanded playoff formats. <laughs> so uh, what do you think of what do you think of that idea? Yeah, I, I mean, pretty much any any baseball is going to be fine with me. Um, I would just, I, I don't know, I, w- I would probably just go short in season with the way things are currently constituted. It makes it feel more like more continuity with seasons pre pre and post this this pandemic. Um, I, I mean, travel today is so refined and like you know with. I think if you're more creative with the times that you play games, like making sure every getaway day is a one o'clock game in, in the, the local time zone, like I think you'll save more time doing that rather than trying to realign and then still giving these crazy, like, you know, a Thursday game against uh, the twins when the Yankees have to fly to Chicago, like don't play that game at seven o'clock at night like play it at one o'clock and don't play any ESPN night games. Like if, if ESPN wants their contract, give ESPN like a Friday night package or a Saturday night package. I mean, obviously that conflicts with Fox cause Fox has the, the Friday night, uh, Saturday night games, but you know, do something like there has to be some sort of contingency plan here where you could do better with the travel in terms of when you schedule your games. I don't know. That, that's just me. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I I feel like I'm getting to the point where like I just want to see baseball. Obviously, I don't want it to come back prematurely because there's you know, more important things that need to be contained. But I feel like I'm at the point where I just want to see baseball. And with whatever drastic scenario they come up with, while my initial response might be, you know, what? Like, how how is this going to work? Like, this is like almost too different. Then it kind of just gives way to like, well... If it's going to bring baseball back, then it's for one year. Like, who cares? So, and, and it's also clear that they're throwing around a bunch of different ideas. They, you know, they had there was the grapefruit and cactus league idea. There was the Arizona only idea. So, they're clearly just going over any possible option and are clearly really motivated to get back. And we'll we'll see if they're the first sport back. But who knows when that's going to be? Is there even going to be any sports in 2020? Who who really knows? The outlook is pretty cloudy right now. But at least if they if they came back in a month, two months, let's say no no um, no vaccine, they've just they've kind of gotten it under control. Which seems like we're getting under control. But that's because everybody's staying home. Would you feel comfortable going to a game? tough question yeah it is i don't know i would feel comfortable for myself because i'm i'm young i'm i'm healthy i I feel like i'd be okay but i I feel like i'd be uncomfortable if i was to go to a game and then come back and go to work and come in contact with other people who might be older and, and more susceptible to the more severe symptoms and outcomes of of the uh of the virus you know it's that that part i, I would be worried about because you know you go to a game and then if 
if the world is open enough to where you're able to go to a game, then everyone's obviously most likely back at work and interacting with people again. So I, I would be nervous about that part. Yeah, it's like you don't you know that you're strong enough, but you know if you go to a game, it's like okay, but I can't see grandma and grandpa for at least two weeks. Like that's yeah. kind of the way it goes. That's yep. the that's the the trade off. Exactly. So no, I'm just curious about that. Other than that. I don't know what else is going on. Manny Ramirez is talking about maybe coming back at age 47. That'd be awesome. I would love to see it. <laughs> I wonder if he'd still think Clemens is throwing at him. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that moment today. Let's go. Yeah, we're talking about 2003 today. We talked about 2001 just a couple weeks ago. But 2003 is another one where... It kind of stands out as one of the best Yankee teams to not win the World Series. That Sean, they won 101 games. Do, do you think that this was the best Yankee team not to win a World Series? You know, I 2001 is the team I wish would have won the most, but I think 2003 is the team that deserved it. Just with their rotation. I mean, Clemens had a great year. Pettit had a great year. Mucina had a very good year. And, uh, you know, you have David Wells as your fourth starter. That's that's awesome. I mean, Dave, David Wells was, what, fifth on the team in war that year as your fourth starter? He was incredible. Yeah, we we talked about the um, – oh, Mo, Mo had a great year as well. Yeah, yeah, we we talked about the 2007 season last week and just how the pitching staff was in complete shambles um, to start that year, and the Yankees set a record with, um, you know, ten new start ten new starting pitchers within the first 30 games of, of that season because of all the injuries. They had guys like Jeff Carstens taking the mound, but you know, in 2003, you know, there were concerns that there could be something like that because you had Wells and Clemens both in their age 40 season. Mussina was 34 and, and all three of them along with Andy Pettit pitched over 200 innings that year. Yeah. They all, they all shoved and it was, it was really fun to watch. I mean, every game they had a good chance. I know that in May they had like a rough, rough patch or June, like right before the, the Cardinal series. I remember they got no hit by the Astros. They had lost a bunch of games in May. So then they turned it around and just were fine. But they had one, two, three, four. They have five players that had an OPS plus of over ones of the season in, in game seven of the 03 ALCS. And I feel like this is definitely a good season recap to kind of talk about Giambi. And, you know, a lot of people kind of dismiss his time with the Yankees. People didn't like how he signed that big contract and then didn't win a World Series. But I feel like if you look at Giambi's numbers, he more than earned his contract i mean his career ops was you know with the yankees was something was over 900 or something like that so i think i think giambi was was a good signing and he had some had some big moments for the yankees as well i think i think when people think about giambi though what sticks out is like the 2004 thing where he didn't play because of that weird bug yeah and then it's kind of like another lost season in what 2006 or was it 2007? I forget. But didn't he win Comeback Player of the Year twice, like in 2005 and 2008? Something crazy like that? I believe or so. he was up there for it. 
So he, he wins two comeback player of the year awards. He has monster first two seasons, monster 2005. And I, I think, I think what hurts Giambi in the Yankees memories is that he, one, he replaces like an unsung hero type guy in Tino who has a bunch of big moments in the postseason for the Yankees, specifically the world series. Then he comes in and doesn't win a world series and I think in 2003, what hurts him is he removes himself from playing in a World Series game. That that hurts his legacy. But from an optics, uh, from a non-optic standpoint, just sort of like performance on the field, I think what fans didn't realize yet, and I think if he had played now, they'd respect it more. Dude, he hit 250 in 2003, which he came from Oakland hitting like what 320 every year, basically. But they say, oh, now he's hitting 250. Well, his on base is 412. Like. Yeah. He's drawn 130 walks a year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's when they got him, they thought they were getting like a 300 hitter that's going to hit 40 bombs a year. And with the shift and with less space in the Yankees, you know, they, they didn't get that. They got a guy who had a great eye and just hit diggers. And I mean, I think that's fine. Like he did a great job while he was here. Had a lot of big moments. I mean, think about how many walk-off home runs he had for the Yankees or, or big home runs whether they be in the postseason off of Pedro or if they be, you know, uh, in 2005 when they really needed some big wins. And re- remember that random game in like 2008 against the Red Sox where they were on the verge of getting swept? I think it was on the 4th of July or something random like that. And he had like a four RBI day and the Yankees won like 4-3 or something. He, I think he had a walk-off home run, had a two-run homer like early in the game. He was just... He came up big at, at big moments. It's just he had a couple not great postseason showings, and fans turned on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think uh, I think people need to take another look at his Yankee tenure. He certainly had a, a lot of big moments and produced. Two thousand three, definitely one of those years. Also, another huge year for Alfonso Soriano hitting thirty eight home runs. This was a huge breakout season for him one that would go a long way and eventually helping the Yankees get Alex Rodriguez but he he had a monster year as well and it was just a dynamic Yankee offense that started the year like winning like winning something like 20 of their first 25 games they went on an absolute tear even though the season started in pretty uh sour fashion I I remember that game well I remember I remember coming home, I think I was at like rec basketball or something, and then as soon as I walked in the door, you were you said like, you know, something bad happened and come to find out that Jeter separated his shoulder on on opening night in Toronto. And I, I think Messina had the quote that said we could wear the uniform and blah blah blah, but without Derek Jeter we're not really the Yankees or something like that. Which yeah. that reverberated well. But he gets named the captain later that year and heals. Yep. And he goes on to have a huge year. I mean, even with missing, how many games did he miss? He played in 120 games. So he missed about 40 games, and he was still sixth on the team in war, seventh. Yeah. So not bad. No, still still a massive, massive year for Jeter. And despite, despite the Musina comment, the Yankees still played really, really well without him. They actually started playing bad once he got back. I know, yeah. He comes back he comes back a month later and the Yankees go eleven and seventeen in May. And but that, but then they turn it around. They go twenty and seven in June. They're back to their dominant ways. And yeah, they aside from that hiccup in May, the 
they were a dominant team. Again, 101 wins. That that start they got out to was was unbelievable. I mean, they went 20 and six. Yeah, 20 and six in April, and they won on March 31st, which was opening day. So, so they started the season. Well, and they won their first two games of May. So they started the season 23 and six. Not pretty, bad. pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that'll that'll work. <laughs> so um, any. Any regular season moments from this year that that stick out to you? I, I guess I, the one that would uh, pop out to me would be, um, with the the home opener with uh, Matsui hitting the grand slam. Grand Matsui, yeah, that yeah. Was... I, I mean, I think what stands out to me the most this year was probably getting Matsui was huge, and I think getting to watch him in his first year was really exciting, and. Um, it had been a while since we saw a hitter come over that was so nuanced as Matsui was, right? Like, Giambi had a good eye and was a slugger, um, but Matsui was really like a scientific hitter. And just like the way he could take the ball the other way, work the count, um, he was a really smart player. And it was really fun to watch him uh, watch him play. And I, mean, I don't know about you, but he quickly became one of my favorite Yankees, uh, so much so that I got his jersey early on in his, his career back when I, I didn't have the money to, to buy a lot of jerseys. I was still in high school when I got the Matsui jersey. Oh, yeah. But, he's He yeah. turned into one of my favorite Yankees of all time, and he was so consistent. He played – he played in every game that season, and when he came to the Yankees, he started that stretch of you know five hundred something games where he was in the starting lineup every day. I think it ended when he dove for that ball and 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 broke his wrist in, in left field. But before that, he was he was in the lineup all the time. Yep. And I I think other than Matsui, what I remember most about the this season though is it. You know, they play pretty terrible in May and, and early June. They get no hit by the Astros. And during that whole time where they're not playing well, it's kind of a distraction of Clemens chasing win number 300. I mean, we go to the first attempt against the Red Sox where they get shellacked. Yep. Then they go out and he's got a lead at Wrigley. They lose that game. And then finally they go to uh, they come home, they play the Cardinals and uh, he gets his 300th win. And 4,000 strikeout. And, I mean, this is you, you have to remember, this is all pre-steroid stuff. I mean, we probably all should have known, but we didn't know. It was all like – and by that time, Clemens had won two World Series with the Yankees. He had um, pitched his, his rear off in Game 3 of the 2001 World Series. So he, he had endeared himself to Yankee fans. I mean, I think they were pretty excited. And for me, 2003 was, like, the season I remember most when I think of Clemens, not only for the 300th win and 4,000 strikeout game – but also he has the almost no hitter. And it, even though he pitches pretty poorly in game seven of the ALCS, he pitches one of my favorite games in the history of baseball, which is him versus Pedro in game three, which oh, is yeah. just a crazy game. And looks like it's going to be a repeat of 99 at that point in the early in the game, but then he settles down and wins. And I mean, uh, he's a psychopath, but I'd take Clemens in a trench with me any day. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> absolutely no you're right at that time before you know a lot of these things came out and then there was the pettit clemens feud once the mitchell report was released you know before all of that clemens was a pretty pretty easy guy for me to like in terms of of the yankees i mean he pitched some of the most 
dominant playoff games for the Yankees that I've ever seen. I think back to like the 2000 ALCS, the 2001 ALCS, he had some dominant starts there. And and I was really hoping that I was going to get to see history with his 300th win, but he didn't get it on our first attempt. And then and then you and dad went for for the next attempt at home and and then he was able to get it. And like you said, also got his 4,000th strikeout in that in that same game. Well, we didn't go because he was going for number 300. Well, because Tino was. Right. We went. Yeah. I, actually, Gary Gary had gotten tickets uh, through like his aunt or uncle or something and, and gave them to me. And we had really good seats down the left field line. And I was so annoyed when um, when he got his 4,000 strikeout right before Tino came up because Tino got robbed of his ovation. <laughs> but the place still went nuts when Tino came up. I was going crazy. And, um, yeah, that was, that was great. Tino came back. Clemens got his 300th win. Really great, great regular season game to go to. Uh, one of the more memorable ones I've attended. And then we went the next day. And this is something else I always think about from 2003. And Tino hits two dingers, one off Pettit and one off some uh, slap dick reliever. Slap dick reliever. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that because I was playing the Padres in, uh, in Conquest the other day. So I started thinking about uh, Blake Snell. Blake Snell, yeah. Joe, didn't, Joe Girardi also had a single in that game, right? He did. He base, did. Hit, base hit right up the middle. He got, yeah. a, he got a nice ovation, too. Yeah, but when Tino hit the second homer, I had my little Tino hat on. I was thinking about throwing it on the field. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a cool moment. It was one of those where you like the crowd was so clearly like rooting yeah. for the for the Cardinals because it just didn't, well, it didn't yeah. really matter. The second by by the time you hit the second homer, they were winning like twelve to two or fourteen to two or something like that. Yeah. So and the only other two the the two were from uh, were from Tino's home run in the first inning off of Pettit. Yep. But um, yeah, I was just the only the only thing I would have done different. I wish he hit it into the bleachers instead of the instead of the grandstand because we would have had a shot at it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that was that was pretty cool um, to see. And then like one start later, I was there again with my friend Eric, and Clemens takes a no hitter into the eighth inning, which was awesome to see a no hitter go in the eighth. And it's like right after his three hundredth win, they win on a walk off single by Alfonso Soriano late in the game. But I feel like after they got that 300th win out of the way, they just started rolling and they they didn't stop. Yeah. Until they got to the World Series. Well, I guess I'm trying to think of other um, other regular season moments. Some you know some of them might have been off the field, like Jeter being named the captain that year after his uh, scuffle <laughs> with with Steinbrenner. Where were they? Cincinnati when they did that? Somewhere I, yes, random. It was somewhere so random. Yeah. But that yeah, that was a good way for them too to make up and and to film a, a visa commercial about, about Jeter partying late at night. Yep. Crazy that that was uh that was a storyline. So then so yeah, after their May hiccup the Yankees kind of start to roll they they win the with the they win the division with with relative ease are there any other regular season games that stand out to you from that season i'm pretty sure it was this year where the the yankees had two walk-offs against the red sox which were weird one where they walked in the winning run and i think varitek takes the ball and like spikes it on the ground or something like that and then there was another one 
where they made an error in the last inning and the Yankees won. I think that might have been the one of those was. This, I'm sorry, I, I just I don't know off the top of my head, but one of those was the game where it was Pedro versus Moose, and Pedro put uh, knocked Jeter and Soriano out of the game on like the first two pitches. Yep, yeah, that I I remember that part well, but for I don't remember the end of that game. I'm not I'm not sure. Let me let me see if I can find it while we talk here. But I mean, I, I just. It was a season where they were just they were eyeing each other the whole time, the Yankees and the Red Sox, and you knew it was going to come down to to them. I felt like I mean, they were the best two teams in the league that year, and I I don't I don't think there's much question about it. No, absolutely not. It, it, it even even after the Yankees lost Game One of the ALDS, you still felt like the two teams were going to be on a on a clash to meet each other and then the red sox went down in their series as well i i believe in oh. in 2003 didn't they go down two games to none or something like that they did they did against uh the a's and i remember watching that game with Derek lowe on the mound for the um with Derek lowe on the mound for the red sox nailing down the save with the with a sinker there or two seamer yeah and uh yeah that was uh, that was really exciting. But even after the Yankees lose that uh, game one of of the ALDS, it's still like it's I said, the Twins. It's We're, the Twins, yeah. So they this is the this is the start of Yankees versus Twins, right? Like yeah, just pretty like much the, the legend. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it starts with Andy Pettit on the mound with the Yankees desperately needing a win, and he as he often did in the postseason, shows up with with this this is one of his most dominant postseason starts. And and he's had a lot of them. You know, obviously game five of the two thousand six two thousand six uh nineteen ninety six World Series is probably his most memorable. Um but in terms of like his most dominant starts, this is up there as well. He went seven innings and allowed just one run, struck out ten, which was a lot for Pettit. Especially, especially at this time. Yeah, back then he wasn't um, he wasn't as much of a strikeout pitcher as he was like when he came back to the Yankees with that that slider that was sort of like the evolution of his cutter. But I mean, obviously we're gonna have to talk about Pettit in more detail in the postseason. But he goes out and wins three game twos when the Yankees are down one nothing. Um, absolutely incredible. And I mean, I feel bad for Mike Messina because he just keeps pulling the short end of the stick. Um, with having to face Johan, having to face uh, they faced Johan in Game One of the series, right? I believe so. And then they brought Johan back to pitch Game Four, and I think he got knocked around. Yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Pettit wins three absolutely have to have games, and pitches great in a in a fourth one. It's just the Yankees get shut out and. I mean, I feel like this year is is weird because it's like the fans really start to turn on Moose, which they shouldn't because he pitches pretty well in most of his starts. Yeah. And then he comes back and, and later, as we'll get to, completely redeems himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. So so the Yankees win. The Yankees win game two. Like I said, dominant start by Pettit. And then Clemens comes back in game three and shuts it down as well also going seven innings and and allowing just one run and uh 
And it, I think uh, the big blow of the game was was Matsui because he he hit a home run early in the game, and the Yankees wound up winning winning three to one. Early signs of how Mats, clutch Matsui was going to be um, throughout his postseason career. Um, while we were talking, I looked up by the way the the close Yankee Red Sox games from the right. Excuse me, the regular season. I don't mean it's the steer course. No, go they, they they did win on a walk um, in the bottom of the ninth. Jorge Posada drew the walk. They also won two games in the ninth inning against Bung Young Kim, who I forgot was the Red Sox closer for part of that season. Wow, I did too. <laughs> yeah, it, Jeter had a uh, had a sack fly against him at Fenway to give the Yankees the lead, and um, he gave up two singles and a hit by pitch in the bottom of the ninth at Yankee stadium. And then, um, the winning run scored on an error that Curtis pride hit wow, the pride of the pride of the Yankees. <laughs> so I'm sorry to take that detour. I was just, I, I knew there was a couple really good Yankee Red Sox games in there and I just wanted a quick, take a peek at them. But anyway, let's get back to the postseason. Yes. Well, so to, so to wrap up the ALDS when, like I said, the Yankees knocked around Johan to clinch the series, who, who hit the big blow to, to knock him out of the game? Who hit the big blow to knock him out of the to game? To knock Johan out of the game. Uh, I'm just going to guess Enrique Wilson. It was a it was a two-run double by Nick Johnson. Oh, um, Nick Johnson. <laughs> Nick Johnson you, you're laughing. Nick Johnson also had a big hit in the ALCS against the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, a couple big hits in the again the ALCS against the Red Sox. Yeah, so this this was part of of that big six run inning in in Game Four that sealed the series where they it was one of three doubles because Bernie doubled, Matsui doubled, and then Nick Johnson doubled to uh to knock Johan out of the game, and that was and that was all that was all she wrote. Jeter was, Jeter hit a home run. Off. Jeter hit a home run later that game. And then, uh, and yeah, that was it. The Yankees were were moving on to the ALCS, which obviously, I mean, this, I mean, this is a. Uh, you know, it's funny because we've seen so the we've seen the Yankees win so many World Series, and you know, ninety six is probably my favorite. But this is this like this might be my favorite playoff series of all time. Um. Yeah, it's it's really really close. I mean, it's Yankees Red Sox, and I think this the thing that stands out to me the most is that this was the most intense postseason series I, I ever remember watching. Yeah, me too. Like where the teams were that into it, and you could actually feel the you could feel how tight they were and how much they did not like each other. And we haven't gotten that since, and we hadn't had it before. I don't think. Um, but the, these teams did not like each other, and it was it was very evident, and it was really fun. Um, I mean, you go into the series, and there's all these storylines, and there's you know there's 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 Clemens versus Pedro, uh, you know the the whole Pedro thing with with having hit Soriano and Jeter earlier in the year. They had a couple big wins off of Pedro, where Moose outdueled him, and. Um, it was just, you know, really exciting to going into it. And I felt like, um, I mean, I felt like this was the matchup that we wanted, the, the more exciting one. And um, 
Yeah, games. This, yeah, <laughs> this is the one we were rooting for as kids, and then the series happened. And after it was over, I was like, "God, that was so freaking stressful. I don't want that anymore." <laughs> and, and you have to remember too, like when it started, like the curse was real, man. It had been eighty-six years. Yeah, and I mean, I was thirteen years old. I, and they I believed in it. <laughs> yeah. So, but the Red Sox had a good team. They won ninety-five games that year. They really knew how to hit. Um, and, and they come out in game one and they throw Tim Wakefield, the Yankees kryptonite. Yep. And he shuts them down for, for six innings and Yankees get two in the seventh, but they're, they're losing five, nothing by the time they score their first two runs. Um, and you know, Ortiz starts to do what Ortiz starts to do. And it's a, it's a two run bomb into the upper deck and Todd Walker hits a home run that doesn't hit the foul pole because a fan reaches out in front of it. But yeah, I remember that so well. Yeah, me too. And just like them playing the replay over and over again, it was it was it was hard to tell. But yeah, yeah, like you said, in this game, the Yankees trailed five two going into the eighth inning and and couldn't complete a comeback. Not to be a foreshadowing of what would happen later in the series, but <laughs> um, and then they come back and tie the series once again. Who else? Andy Pettit has has a huge start. And the thing about this is, like, this is the quintessential Pettit start for me. Gives up six hits in the first two innings, something like that. (laughs) Has nothing early on, but gets big double play ball, um, gets out of some jams, settles down, and winds up, you know, allowing two runs over, what, six or seven innings? Yeah. And and the Yankees were, were losing early in the game. And and then like you mentioned like you mentioned earlier who has who has the big hit Nick Johnson yep and then uh, there so that puts them up two one and then Jeter uh, scores on a Bernie single Bernie doing what Bernie does in the postseason and uh, yeah yeah so then the Yankees tie the series and then we get to game three which like you said you know you talk about the 2003 ALCS, your mind immediately goes to Aaron Boone and immediately goes to the comeback in, in Game 7. This game was unreal. Game Game 1 and 2, for me, kind of felt like the, the opening band of the series. And, <laughs> for, you know, Game 2, pretty good. They had a couple good songs in there. And then you get to Game 3, and it the, Game 3 is where this series becomes Yankees-Red Sox, normal to Yankees-Red Sox. This is a classic. This is something that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and and Clemens um, gets hit a little bit early, and then yeah, he gives up two runs in the, fir- in the bottom of the first inning. And and who and who puts the Yankees on the board, but Kareem Garcia, who would play who would play a role in in what would come um, later on in the game. Aside from, aside from the brawl, my biggest memory just because I was so pumped up, just because it's Jeter, but him hit him going over the monster to to tie the game. Was, well, that was yeah, pretty that, cool off Pedro. That, that was huge, and Matsui had a big hit that game off of Pedro too. Yeah, so did Soriano. Uh, yep, Soriano, and I mean this was a really like a classic Yankee Yankee win. If you just think about it, they chipped away. You know, second inning one run, third inning Jeter has the solo homer, the fourth inning they score two, and things start to unravel, and Pedro starting to get frustrated. And in 03, I remember I went to me and Smitty went to Fenway. Uh, with Dan Kim and, and Timmy, and we got to see Pedro pitch at Fenway, which is one, you know, non-Yankee wise, it's probably the coolest thing I've ever. Pedro is the best pitcher sports. I've ever seen in, in real life. Um, 
And to see him pitch at Fenway was great, but Grandpa said to me, he doesn't have it anymore. He's not Pedro anymore. He doesn't have that that fastball. He was very <laughs> concerned about that. And we get to ALCS, Grandpa Smitty was right. <laughs> he he had trouble putting the Yankees away in this game. And I know he pitches well early in game seven, but he starts to deteriorate um, as the game goes on. And um, he gets a little pissed off. Yeah. Well, it starts with uh, with Kareem Garcia, and which we also should point out when they when they show the replay, it, it hit his bat. <laughs> it probably should have just it probably should have just been a foul ball. <laughs> but uh, imagine how different history would be because then he doesn't take first he and doesn't he doesn't slide in the second. second yeah. yeah, which obviously brings the simmer closer to a boil because he goes in the second base hard. Which honestly, at the time you knew, like, okay, if there's a ground ball he's going all out in the second base and he's going to try to take somebody out. And sure enough, he does. And, um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of weird things, because like you said, if, you know, this could be totally different if they, if they do realize like, Hey, that hit your bat, that's a foul ball. Um, and, and then also you have Clemens throwing the high, the high fastball to, to Manny. And I feel like my first memory is like, it was high, but it really wasn't that close to him. No, and, yeah, that was that was nowhere near his head compared to you know what you would expect a brushback pitch to look like. And my favorite part about it was like Clemens probably could have made that clear, like that wasn't even close to you. But as soon as Manny starts like jawing at him, like Clemens starts going after him, like it was intentional, <laughs> like it was intentional. Yeah, th- <laughs> this game. It, if you had any doubt, Roger Clemens. This game settles it down for you because he pitches his ass off, pitches great after the first inning, and he just has your back. I mean, he he comes out after the after Kareem Garcia goes into second when they start jawing. Like Clemens comes out of the dugout and like is all fired up and needs yeah. to be calmed down again before he takes the mound. Then he throws that one high fastball, and Manny's got the bat still and he's jawing at him. And Clemens just like says, "Let's go! Like, come on! Let's <laughs> like stop talking." And, and and then chaos. Yeah, then chaos, and then you get freaking uh, Zimmer running at Pedro and, and and that whole thing. Oh, that was so wild! I just I still remember like watching it live. The camera cuts to it like real quick, right as it's happening, and you yeah. can see the shiny bald head. And I thought it was I thought Pedro had just thrown David Wells to the ground because never in my mind would it would have popped in my head like oh that's. That's old ass Don Zimmer who just charged that Pedro and got thrown to the ground, but but it was uh, and then you realize it was Zimmer and you're like holy shit like I hope he's okay, but it, it was it was madness. Yeah, that when when Pedro points at his head and at Posada, oh yeah, it's another moment that like that's I mean that's the stuff that we you know you think about like you know like you remember watching all that so well as it's happening and like. I really, I really wish we had a rival like this right now. There were there was this much heat because it was so fun. Like it was just you hated them and you wanted to beat them so bad. But um, yeah, I mean, this game was insane for that. You had the stuff in the bull, the bullpen later, which is embarrassing. That that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that was awful. Um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Clemens settles down and pitches great. He strikes out Manny after orders. Yeah, right st- after. Yeah. And um, 
and, and pitches really well. But um, what's your what's your big takeaway from that game? Like, what do you what are your feelings for, about it? Looking back on it now, seventeen <laughs> years seventeen years later, holy crap! Yeah, I know it's so wild. It's been that long. Um, one of my favorite parts was after the game when Grady Little is like, I think we upgraded it from a battle to a war. That was that was such a that was such a good quote and like just totally summed up how, like you said, how we were feeling because the yeah. first two games were kind of like the warm up, and then this was like, okay, it's on. And you know, in, in terms of on the field stuff, like I said, Jeter's home run is like the top moment I remember, and then the other one was just watching Clemens struggle in the first inning and you're thinking back to his start in Fenway in the 99 ALCS and you're like oh shit and you knew how important this game was the series the series was tied and then he settles down has a huge start strikes out Manny after all that craziness and and then the Yankees have the lead in the series it's short-lived because this was just such a fantastic back and forth series but Boston wins um a really close game in game four one that it looked like for a second the Yankees might uh come back and and spoil what had been another really good start by tim wakefield yeah uh you know sierra hits the home run in the ninth inning the yankees other than that don't don't put up much i mean jeter had a double that tied the game early after um wakefield out back-to-back singles um but Posada lines out to end that inning, and that's sort of where the game changes. And then Nixon hits a, you know, Nixon hits another homer. Yeah, and Nixon and Todd Walker hit homer, and it was another one of those starts where Musina pitched really well. He just made a couple mistakes with those two solo home runs, but he pitched six and two thirds and struck out ten guys. I mean, he he had good stuff that game. Just made a couple couple mistakes, and well, I, I'd like to see the replay too because remember the, Soriano. Ne- uh, throws it over to first for a double play, which would have kept the game two one. And Varitek somehow beats it out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and that winds up being the difference in the game because Sierra goes yard in the ninth. But it is what it is. But I don't know. And then they then they go to game five, and it's like there's been these great games at Fenway, right? You have you have the Clemens game, and and going to that which is four, three. And then, then you have game four, which is three to two. So it's like all these games at Fenway have been nail biters back and forth games. But I remember going into game three, there was so much pressure because the last time this happened, game three at Fenway, Clemens versus Pedro, Clemens got destroyed. Yeah, and you're just, yeah. Annihilated. I mean, I remember being very nervous before that game because you, that's still in your mind and you know, Clemens gets a little emotional and they go down to nothing and you're like, Oh, this is going to happen again. And then you have a totally different game and it really changes the tenor of the series. Then game four of the Red Sox come back and you're like, that that's not supposed to happen, right? The Yankees are supposed to just put the hammer down. Now they, they just won game three. Then they go to game five. Another one of the, our best big game pitchers in, in our, our lifetime is David Wells goes out and, and pitches great. I, you know, he gives up a solo shot to Manny that's pretty much it. He um, gets Manny in a, in a big double play late in the game, and another big hit by Kareem Garcia. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a that was a, a really feel good <laughs> feel good thing for Kareem Garcia. Yeah. Score. Yeah, I mean he broke the game open, scoring two, and Soriano gets a hit, which he didn't get a lot of that series. No. Oh man, he was, he was rough. Yep. Watching watching 2003 ALCS Soriano was like watching stanton 2018 alds like 
Yeah. It was. It got to the point where like he, you came. It's 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 almost like it got to like when you're using the hitting with the pitcher in the show. You're just like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna swing and hopefully I just happen to pick the right location and maybe it falls in. <laughs> yeah. Just, just he was not he was not playing well at, at this point, which was a shame because he had such a big season. Yep. But they win game five uh, at Fenway four four to two. And you're going back to Bronx. You're you're facing John Burkett. You're like this, this series is over. This is it. Yeah, Pettit, Pettit versus Burkett. Yeah, I was I was so certain that they were going to win this game. I was so certain they were going to win this game twice. Once when when Giambi hits the solo homer in the in the bottom of the first, it's over. We're going to yeah. the World Series. A hundred percent, no doubt in my mind. Then the then the third inning happened, and you're like, okay, maybe not. And then the <laughs> fourth and fifth inning happened. And you're like, hell yeah. I mean, Nomar's making errors. Remember, there was two outs, right? There's two outs and Nomar makes an error to allow Kareem Garcia to get on base. Then Soriano hits a two-run double to put the Yankees up. Posada hits a homer to make it 6-4. It looks like Pettit has settled down at this point. And then you get to the seventh and and all hell breaks loose because we got guys like Gabe White and Felix (laughs) Heredia and Jose Contreras coming in. And we had sailing balls from the outfield. That was the oh. game where Matsui threw the. Yes. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. That's uh, Nomar, who had worse series than Soriano, finally does something. <laughs> yeah, he has that. Well, it's a triple, but. Yeah, the triple and the the error, the little league homer. But um, this game too is really where you start to see how how intense it is because this is a game back and forth, big rallies, and yeah. you see how the teams are getting so pumped up, and. Um, after Giambi hits the solo shot in the first, he kind of disappears for the rest of the game. But um, he comes back. He'll 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 be back in the in our next installment. <laughs> um, but you had freaking Felix Heredia walking Johnny Damon to put the Red Sox up. I mean, what a frustrating loss. But then you come back and and you play Game Seven. Yeah, I mean, so me, Dad, and our other brother Kyle were watching the game at watching Game Seven at home. I mean, I remember everything um but you were you came back late you were watching with with some friends i think i remember you walking in the door and just all you said was soriano sucks and he, right. he, he was over five with four strikeouts this game so it was accurate but um well i watched yeah i watched at alex's house just me and alex and his dad for the first seven innings and i th- or maybe it was the first six i think it's the first seven and in the seventh is the inning where the Yankees have, I think, two on or the bases loaded. Soriano's up after Giambi has now hit a home run to bring the Yankees to within four to two. And oh, he just he like, hits a little Yeah, something like that. Or, or remember he hit like a little squibber one of the rallies and killed it? I think that was to end the eighth inning. Well, okay. Because I think, I think after Giambi... Oh no no that, okay Soriano Soriano struck out to end the inning after Giambi hit his first home run, and then okay. and then and then he struck out again. Okay, well it was also a strikeout after his second home run. So, so I'm pretty sure the little, yeah, the little so just, squid grounder stopped. was at the end of the eighth inning. All right, I'm pulling I'm pulling up the play by play right now, <laughs> but. But I mean, let, let's go back. Like you, you, it's Game Seven. It's Clemens versus Pedro. The curse is still alive in in our minds. 
And uh, I, I mean, we get one of the most classic games of all time, but it doesn't start off looking like it's going to go that well. No, it started off really poorly. Clemens gets knocked around, and it's not like game three where he's going to settle down. He gets it's game seven, so they, you got to take him out. And uh, and Musina comes in. Still, I think the MVP of this game. I mean, he he comes in after the Kevin Millar home run, and then put and then. Clemens put two runners on after that before Moose finally came in, strikes out Veritek, and then gets a a double play. And and that was a that that was kind of like the Chad Green striking out um, striking out two after coming in to replace Severino in the 2017 Wild Card game, where you're like, all right, that was bad, but not bad enough where it can't be like undone. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's hard to fathom at the time what it felt like to be down four nothing to Pedro. With yeah. <laughs> the way he looked early. Um, and, and I mean, I think Chad Green is kind of like Moose, not the other way around. Because to get a K and then a double play oh, no, of uh, course. is it's... insane. And then, and then, you know, they Yankees don't score in the bottom of the inning. Um, Moose allows a couple hits in the, the top of the fifth, but gets out of it and then they start to chip away and Giambi hits a solo shot and then Moose just, you know, holds, holds the, holds things down for a while. And they, they bring in um, Felix Heredi and Jeff Nelson in the seventh who, who do their job. And then, and then yeah. Giambi hits another homer in the bottom of the seventh. And then this is what I was talking about. Enrique Wilson singles off Pedro, which is why he was in the game, not to play defense. Then Kareem Garcia singles off Pedro. That has to feel great. So they have the tying run on. Soriano strikes out swing. Yeah, that was that was a, a big blow because right after that, Wells comes in and gives up the homer to Ortiz, and like all that all that chipping away, like you mentioned, now all of a sudden it's a three run deficit against Pedro again. Yep, but and you weren't even sure if you were going to see Pedro anymore. Well, that's the thing because he hits, gives up the homer to Giambi, gives up two singles, and then he. I remember, I think it was a like a two two like it was a longer at bat against Soriano, but he finally gets him. And you're like, all right, he's probably done. Six innings, two yeah. runs, or seven innings, two runs, and then he comes out to start the eighth. Nick Johnson pops out, just gets under one a little bit. And then things change, and it's unbelievable that they leave Pedro in, but this is what makes postseason baseball so good is it's something we'll talk about, a decision we'll talk about forever. But who gets it started? The same guy that always gets it started, Derek Jeter, with a little bit of an assist by some Trot Nixon defense. A a lot of bit of an assist. That was an awful route, (laughs) a ball that probably should have been caught. Well, you got to make the plays in the postseason, and um, they certainly didn't. And most of these hits – or with two strikes, if I remember correctly. And you know what I remember very well about this double off Pedro? The Red Sox had gotten Jeter a couple times that series when Nixon would like kind of go into that. He's like pretty much standing up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They would get Jeter on the high fastball a lot. Pedro couldn't get all, everything he could on that fastball. You know, didn't get up enough, and and Jeter was able to push it out to the wall, um, which is awesome. And and that that gets things started. And then Bernie comes up and hits a single to center. And I just remember when Jeter scores, he just kind of says to Mats- Matsui, like, let's go. Like, this is the time now. Yeah. And he rips a ground rule double right inside the, the right field line. 
But before that happens, probably the biggest moment in this series. The mound visit? Yeah. Yeah. And think about the mound visits in Yankee, Yankee history, where you have David Cohen left in the game. Good call. Yeah. And then you have this for Red Sox. And it's just like, I can't believe they're leaving him in. He's obviously like, and we've seen the Yankees have success against Pedro in the past at Yankee Stadium at this point in this season. So he pitches to Matsui, and Matsui just goes with it. He's not trying to do too much. He just hit, rips a double down the line, and now you have second and third, and, and Jorge's up, who, you know, you had the whole thing in game three with Pedro pointing at him and pointing at his head, and, and you know. Yeah, it made takes, it even cooler. Yeah, you, you, you know, you go through the at-bat, and Posada's out in front of a curveball, and, you know, Jeter's, like, yelling at him from the dugout, and not yelling at him, but coaching, coaching him from yeah, the dugout. <laughs> and it's just like it, it all, all of this pressure from the series is in this one at bat. And these two teams have been scratching and crawling and like any little thing that that can work. And Posada doesn't hit the ball. Well, he kind of just no. <laughs> hits, gets one in on his fists, but it falls into no man's land. And that's baseball. Yeah. And, it, was, it was nice to have that after the 2001 world series. This was kind of like baseball karma, you know, going the other way yep and matsui scores from second good base running there to know the ball was definitely going to drop yep. nobody covers second and uh i mean that's the that's probably aside from 96 the wildest i ever seen yankee stadium go on tv oh uh, yeah definitely totally crazy and, and i mean it's just like it's weird because at that point it's like i expect this to happen i'm not sure if i believe it's going to happen but i expect it's going to happen it's yeah. like this crazy thing and it, and it does and it's just like how how do we keep doing this to this team and as we learn the next season there'll be some sort of penance we have to pay for this but <laughs> um for now all is right with the world giambi lined out to center i remember and then ruben sierra walks and then they have two on and then yeah soriano hits the squibber yep and before before that happens, very uh, very big move when Aaron Boone comes in to pinch run for Ruben Sierra and then is left in the game after. That would change the course of history. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then Mo comes in and just mows mows everybody down as he often does. But still, a three inning performance by him was was pretty incredible. And um, yeah, absolutely incredible. And and, and I uh, I still remember. No, it's all right. I I still remember. Um, Wakefield coming in in extra innings and I like I was still confident they were going to win but with Wakefield coming in I was like shit like how long is this going to go because the Yankees were really struggling against against Wakefield and sure enough they go they go down in order in the 10th and you're like oh man this this really could go on for a while because Mo was still shoving then as well because he shut the Red Sox down in the 11th in his third inning of work with two strikeouts and then uh yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than, like, the first pitch of an inning against the pitcher that has shut down your team for an entire series. Yeah, you're thinking, like, if we could work a walk here and then move a runner over, maybe we get lucky and get a single. Yeah. But I think, like, what's cool to look back on is you have Mo who wants to pitch a fourth inning. There's been, like, oral histories done where the Yankees weren't going to do that. Pettit was getting his cleats on to go out there. I mean, how epic would it have been to see Andy Pettit come back on zero days rest and, and pitch in <laughs> yeah, this game? That would have been insane. And you're like, well, how, I mean, this game could go on like four, four more innings because it's it's um, 
it's it's Wakefield, and he shut the Yankees down. And I, I you've heard so many different things, whether it be Willie Randolph, um, you know, you're my sleeper pick, and all that, all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, he's in a slump, so a knuckleballer is gonna, good to break you out of a slump because your timing's all screwed up anyway. And yeah. first pitch, this is, as he said, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Still, still one of my obviously favorite moments in, uh, in Yankee history. It's, there was just replayed on ESPN a couple days ago. It was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. And the Yankees are going back to the world series which after what happened in 2002 was like made it even sweeter. Yeah. We, we weren't used to not having the Yankees in the world series at that point. There had only been two seasons since we had become fans what, eight years before that, that they weren't in the world series. So, so they're back and then it's, you know, they, they get to the world series on this thrilling walk off against one of the best teams in the league. And you're like, all right, they're going to win the world series again. And then the 91-win 91, 91 Marlins team comes in. They they scratch away a win in New York in game one. I mean, it's stuck, like you know, I know Jeter had a big hit that game. Um, what else is there? Yeah. And, but they still they lose three to two. But then the Yankees win games, games two and three and completely silence the Marlins offense. Game three, man. I'm um, game two, Matsui. 3-0 pitch, three-run homer. Yeah. So clutch. And, and game three was crazy game two. They won late. Boone hit another homer in that game. Yep. And then there's the 12-inning game where the Yankees were – They, I mean, they they score in the ninth inning, and you're like, all right, they're going to they're gonna take a 3-1 series lead. Like, this is over. They scored two outs in the ninth. Sierra hit a triple. Ruben Sierra hits a triple. That's <laughs> incredible. But, I mean, that's really the last moment of the World Series where anything good happens because Weaver gives up the the home run. Yeah, to Alex Gonzalez. What do you think about not having Mo in there? Oh, it was a ter- terrible decision. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Pretty much. What, just because the game was tied, we're not going to go, we're not going to put the best, uh, the best reliever on the planet in? Come on, Tori. Yeah, I know. Probably, probably the, the aside from the, I, I think the the bug thing was kind of just surreal. But this is the worst move of Tori's tenure. I know. Like you, you read, you read the the Yankee years, and he says his only regret is not pulling the team off the field when the bugs came in the 07 ALDS. And first thing I think of is how is this not in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> like not like putting in literally Jared Weaver instead of Mariano Rivera. I mean, you brought him in in a tie game, you know, four games before that against the Red Sox, and he sh- shoved for three innings. Why wouldn't you do the same here? Worked out pretty well. Well, I mean, because they're not home, so it makes all the difference. Oh yeah, of well, course. I, I don't get it. But. <laughs> and then you get to Game Five, and that's really Game Five is really weird. Like Wells pulls himself. Yeah, they almost come all the way back in Game Five. Bernie flies out to the warning track that would have tied the game. Um, and Giambi pulled himself from this game, too. Didn't Soriano sit this game as well? They sat like 80 home runs on the bench. Yeah. Really weird. And um, then they go to Yankee Stadium and, and 
Beckett freaking shuts shuts them down, and, and Pettit only gives up two runs, but it's two runs too many. Yep, I had I had a Pop Warner football game this night, and I remember I had to keep running to the snack bar to ask like one of the parents who was who was um working there like what the yeah, score was. I remember watching most of this game alone. Yeah, so, yeah, weird. I don't know. Then that's it. Then, I mean, that's Yankees history changes after this, right? Clemens is gone. Pettit is gone. Yep. Wells is gone. A-Rod arrives. A-Rod, A-Rod comes in. Yeah, everything everything changes after this. And uh, I don't know. This To me, like, the, the, the dynasty dies twice. Like, this is the, the second and, and final death is after this <laughs> Yeah, because it like tries to come back and it gives us this great run, and then that's it. So then it's then it's on to on to two thousand four and the, the the not reaching the World Series era. Yeah, two thousand four, probably a season we won't be recapping on this weekly weekly uh, segment. No, once <laughs> wait, once we get through the last year, we want to talk about. We'll just have to do like players or something. Like that. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I picked this one right. Yeah. Sorry. Right, so what's what's up next? Let's go. Um, let's go up and, and skip the non World Series era and go to 2009. Cool. Sounds good. Opening of the the new concrete stadium and the um, the return to glory. Yeah. That one be, one for the thumb. That'll be a a good one to to look back on. We've got well, there'll be a lot of pies in the face. A lot of good lot wins of, that year. A lot yeah. of new faces. So yeah, we'll talk about that um, next week. But yeah, just to just to close the book, it's another one of those like 2001 scenarios where they didn't win at all, and you're bummed about that. But you you hear 2003, and you don't really think of the World Series. You think of the ALCS, which in our sense was our World Series. Yeah, I mean these teams taught us to enjoy the ride, not always the destination that matters. So yeah. that's it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for listening. Come back next week so we can talk about 2009, a season that does end in a World Series win. So we'll be back for that next week. Thanks to uh, thanks to everybody for listening. See you later, everybody.